VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong, and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today, we are diving into a zombie franchise. We are talking about the 28 Days Later franchise, but more specifically, the unmade third film, not actually titled 28 Months Later, but that's what we're going to call the episode today. We have a very special returning guest judge with we have Chad Collins with us. He has joined us once before on an unmade scream episode. Chad is a staff writer with us at Dread Central. Chad, how's it going? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you're back. I know I just gave a little bit of an intro to who you are, but Chad, could you do me the favor of reintroducing yourself? Of course. So thank you so much for the introduction. I am a staff writer at Dread Central, and I additionally write for a few other sites online. I am a features writer at Slash Film, and then I just sort of freelance at some other sites whenever the inspiration strikes. And he's a great writer. Lots of um, articles to look out for, including a recent one on 28 Days Later. Am I right when I say that? Yes. Um, for Dread, I actually took a look at the history of Fast Zombies and something we're going to touch on today, I'm sure, the sort of influence that 28 Days Later had in the early aughts and sort of revitalizing the zombie sub genre. Definitely. Today, we're going to tackle 28 Days Later, the sequel 28 Weeks Later. We are going to get a little bit into the 2000 zombie revival. We're going to end up talking about the unmade third film, which we're calling 28 Months Later. Chad, what would you say your general relationship with this franchise looks like? So I was never much of a zombie person growing up, and I was very little when the first one released. I actually caught when 28 Weeks Later released, and I caught that first, and I really liked it. I always liked mm. energy as a kid and a teenager. I liked movies that were very fast and very loud. That inspired me to seek out the first one, and it's definitely a very different tone and feeling to it. But I think even at the time, I recognized that this was something that I really hadn't seen before. It felt very different than the zombies I was familiar with. So from that moment forward, I just always sort of had a special respect for it. I'm with you. I'm not exactly the number one zombie fan 
in the world either, but I do have a soft spot definitely for 28 Days Later. And another film released, I think the same year, Resident Evil, which I think these are two movies that are cited as causing a bit of a resurgence in the zombie realm. Are you a fan of that first Resident Evil movie? I am. I actually, if it's okay, I have a small anecdote about that yes, movie. Yes, please. I was at my friend Tyler's house and we were having a sleepover. We were playing actually Resident Evil on the GameCube. I think probably the remake of the original game. And he said, did you know they did a movie of this? And I said, no way. <laughs> I would know about that. And he said, no, it's true. And my mom has the DVD. And I was like, okay, let's watch it. And he was like, we have to wait until she goes to bed because it's in her bedroom in her DVD cabinet and she won't let us watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> we waited until his mom went to bed and he brought it out and we plugged it into his little DVD player um, in his room. And I remember that it, opening scene with the elevator and i was stupid i was in probably second grade at the time and i remember watching that scene and i said no this isn't resident evil (laughs) resident evil has this mansion there are zombies it's all of this stuff because i couldn't process what an opening scene was and i was like this isn't resident evil you lied to me Mm-hmm. And we didn't finish it, and I didn't rewatch it until <laughs> like several years later. And at the oh uh, whole God. period of time, I thought Tyler was a liar. <laughs> wow, fuck you, Tyler. I hope you're listening. Yeah, That's what everybody was dishonest. <laughs> well, that first movie really didn't. None of them really feel like the first game, which is contained in that spooky mansion. Maybe the more recent release, Welcome to Raccoon City, which I have not seen. <gasps> Does that feel closer to the heart of the game for you? It does. And I will say in retrospect, having revisited it several times, I'm a big fan of the first Resident Evil. I like the camp. I like the action. And I think alongside 28 Days Later, I think it really did help to repopularize you know, the idea of zombies. Mm-hmm. So I respect it enormously. Why do you think these two movies, or specifically even 28 Days Later, had that influence in the early 2000s? So I would think, um, I think there's probably, you know, a lot of different reasons for it. I think coming out of the 90s and having a very specific taste and style of horror in the 90s, I think even if it weren't zombies, I think audiences are always just looking for something new. And then I touched on this in the piece I did for Dread on zombies. I think definitely post 9-11, There's a big shift in audience sensibilities, and I think horror did a really good job very quickly responding to that. And I think 28 Days Later really tapped into that almost like apocalyptic dread. Um, It's a very dark movie. It's very dour. Um, It's fast and it's frenzied, but it's also there's a lot of pathos and there's a lot of human elements to it, which I think is really where the horror sensibilities were shifting. And I think zombies, Mm -hmm. just by virtue of being zombies and being almost innately apocalyptic, I think they're a really good template for filmmakers to really explore those themes more Mm -hmm. so than some other subgenres. Chad, how would you feel if I gave a bit of a seminar on the first 28 Days Later? That sounds wonderful. This first film, 28 Days Later, came out in 2002. It's a British zombie horror film directed by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland, starring Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris. If you had to say what this movie is about, how would you... Oh, that's a tough one. So I would want to say it's just a really like dark and poetic zombie movie. I know mm-hmm. that there is some contention with whether or not it is a zombie movie, but mm-hmm. I would say it's the way I like to look at it is almost a road trip movie. You mm-hmm. have Killian Murphy as sort of our nexus. He's sort of our entryway. And we're just sort of following him, the different people he encounters, the survivors, 
It's almost like, you know, something like The Walking Dead, which of course came much later, but sort of truncated into filmic form. You just have him traveling different landscapes, different settings, and making his way toward a very nebulous sort of survival. We don't really know what that means and what this looks like in this world, but he's just looking for some beacon of hope. That's that's beautiful and kind of why this movie bums me out so much. <laughs> yeah, I agree with how you phrased that. Um, of course, it centers on Killian Murphy's character, Jim, who is this, I think he's like a bike courier that wakes up in a hospital, eventually meets another survivor of the rage apocalypse, and together they get into some trouble with some weird military types who are uh, don't have the best intentions. Yeah, uh, you mentioned that this has some people wondering if it's a zombie movie or if it's not. I believe director Danny Boyle has said a number of times that this he doesn't consider it to be a zombie movie, but writer Alex Garland has stated that he took inspiration from Romero's Night of the Living Dead, as well as the 1951 novel, The Day of the Triffids, which also kind of had a post-apocalyptic vibe to it. So 28 Days Later came out on November 1st in 2002. It was very successful, both critically and commercially. So it made about $82 million, but it was only uh, created on a budget of about $8 million. So this was basically one of the biggest or most profitable films of 2002 definitely one of the most profitable horror films of that year how do you feel about people thinking or even the creator saying it's not a zombie movie whenever filmmakers say that i always go back to one particular interview i remember reading several years ago from guillermo del toro about crimson peak and Mm -hmm. it was after it came out and I, i love crimson peak i should preface it with that i think it's a fantastic movie it's not especially scary though And I remember Guillermo coming out afterwards, after release, and saying, well, it was never intended to be. It was more of a gothic romance. When, for all intents and purposes, you know, when you look at the movie, it's very clear that this was supposed to be a scary movie. And this was almost damage control of, well, it's not really supposed to be. When, in reality, Mm -hmm. I think... It was, it, you know, and scary can be a lot of different things. It may not have been conventionally scary, but I don't think that undersells, you know, the horror elements you had, but it is explicitly a horror property. And for 28 Days Later, for me, it amounts to what I think zombies are. Um, I think the zombie subgenre in recent years, especially, is always sort of playing around with different viruses and different infections. Sometimes they're reanimated corpses, sometimes they're not, but they serve the same sort of role. And so for me, it's easy to just conceptualize it as zombies. Because it is. It, it just yeah. is zombies. <laughs> um, it does kind of run me the wrong way when filmmakers try to distance themselves from horror for whatever reason. Happens a lot with the Oscars. You know, people will, will like to lean on the thriller label because I think it lends itself a little bit better to pr- prestige or, you know, highfalutin cinema. But as we know, horror can be whatever you want it to be, including a prestige zombie film. Did you ever have the DVD for this one? I did not, no. Ah. So the DVD was interesting. It had three alternate endings, and we here on Development Hell are really interested in alternate history of horror, so I thought maybe we'd do a little bit of a rundown on the three 
could have been endings for 28 Days Later. So, yeah, all of these were included on the DVD extra that was originally released in 2002. And they most of them concerned Jim dying at the end. I think the general release for this film has a happy ending, maybe a little bit of a vague ending, but definitely like positive in tone. We see our main characters surviving. But one of the alternative endings, which was filmed, sees Jim dying of a gunshot wound. There's another where the outbreak is just revealed to be a dream, which is always a weird way to go. And then there's a third one, which they didn't really film, but they had in storyboard format. And this one, I believe we see Frank being killed. Or sorry, I believe we see Jim being killed by soldiers. Um, There was a lot of controversy after the release of the film people thinking maybe that the happy ending that was tacked on at the end wasn't really the best way to go about it and then the u.s release in cinemas included one of the alternative endings after there was a bit of a debate online of which one was more appropriate what did you think of the ending of 28 days later did it feel appropriate to you did you feel like it landed i actually like the ending they ended up going with although i will say upon rewatching it um over the weekend and then of course several weeks ago specifically though for the dread piece i was under the impression that jim did die of his gunshot wounds at the end so that's what i thought the official formal ending was so it was a little shocking to me at the end when i said oh wait he survived (laughs) um and then i that did inspire me to look up the alternate endings because i thought it might have been something like they had done with Neil Marshall's The Descent. And I thought mm-hmm. maybe this was an original ending and I just have some kind of weird US specific ending because mm-hmm. we don't like <laughs> we don't like bad endings. We like very conclusive, very optimistic, happy endings here. Mm-hmm. And then I was surprised to see no, it had always been Jim surviving and that his gunshot wound was actually the alternate ending. And I thought it had been, you know, the reverse. Um, I think it fit though. I like a happy ending. Whatever. I don't want to be bummed out for the rest of my life. Especially if I just watched like a really intense zombie film. It's okay. If it, if it earns it, which I think it did this time around, I'm not mad at it. What was the other ending for The Descent? Um, so I know that in The Descent, Neil Marshall, the original ending has her stuck in the cave still mm-hmm. and not escaping. And it was the US release that tacked on the alternate ending where she does successfully escape, which was very controversial because they actually used that alternate ending as sort of the template and the jumping off point for the sequel. Mm -hmm. Because the sequel, of course, couldn't follow the original ending that was released to UK audiences. It could only follow that alternate US ending. Oh my God, that's kind of messy. I didn't know that. People were very unhappy. (laughs) That's interesting, especially because it's not an American film weird it's I like saw the um, sequel how is the sequel to the descent it's got good and bad um i think it's much better than a sequel to the descent could have been because it's the descent <laughs> how do you yeah. match the descent uh-huh. i think it goes much better than i was anticipating there are a lot of silly decisions and i would say the biggest slight against it is it's very bright mm. i think the descent really worked because neil marshall neil neil marshall balanced light and dark really well you could see just enough without it being pitch black and they just light up the descent part two 
There are no shadows, no creepy corners, no hidden crevices. Everything is illuminated. And I think that sort of jeopardizes the fear factor because it looks very much like a set. And I know they filmed on a set in the first one, but when it's this bright, you can see these rocks look like styrofoam and this doesn't look like a real cave system right now. Mm -hmm. Is it still mostly woman led? It is not. No, Um, I will say that like central protagonists are principally women. Um, do you mind if I spoil it? It's not much Please, of a spoiler. It happens you. in the first like 10 minutes. Juno do survives it. from the yes. first one. Yes, I think okay. I knew. Yeah. So she reappears and she's mm-hmm. got her little pickaxe and she's like, let's fight some <laughs> humanoids. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to watch it one day. Maybe there's a third one that, that didn't get made that I can dip into the franchise for. I would love um, that. <laughs> yeah question for you and if you don't have a specific answer to that that's fine but i'm wondering do you have any favorite moments or yeah standout characters standout moments things that really resonate with you from 28 days later so naomi harris's selena of course is incredible um Mm -hmm. she's of course a fantastic actor and i like what they did with her I think too often in zombie movies and post-apocalyptic movies, especially they're really keen. Sometimes storytellers are on, you know, stereotyping all of the characters. You might have the really gruff, rough leader, or you have a really sympathetic character. You might have like a sort of, I don't want to say whiny, but like a whiny weak character, who you know, from the get go, isn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that in Garland's script, he sort of plays around with that where everybody gets an opportunity to have moments of weakness and vulnerability, but also strength. And it makes them really dynamic. And I really appreciate that because it keeps me on my toes as an audience member. And it is cool to sort of see just the vagaries of their disposition because it's new to all of them, this apocalyptic setting and sort of exploring how everyone is responding to it and the you know shared humanity they have, even if they're going about it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And also well, Selena's did- coat. Huh? That yeah, (laughs) yeah. A good friend of mine runs an account called Final Girl Fashion, and the whole time I was just thinking she's gotta do an installment on this because the fashion's so good and so 2002. It really is. Um, It's amazing. It is. So would you say Selena's like the character you sort of resonate the most with, or your favorite of the batch? I would say. I think mm-hmm. a lot of horror fans, I imagine, feel this way. It's always a little bit easier for me to just identify and relate to women characters sometimes. That's not to say me that too. at large I can't, but when you put someone like Killian Murphy as Jim and then you have Selena, it's not to say that Jim is a bad character. I think Jim is a fantastic character. Just always easier for me in my own perspective. I'm just almost innately drawn more toward that feminine element. And Mm -hmm. that's where I really latch on to. Me too. Everywhere in horror, I'm always looking for interesting women characters. And we have a couple of them here. So as you mentioned, we have Selena and there's also Hannah. There's sort of a controversial plot line where they meet the, yeah, the main cast meets up with sort of this military group who ends up having like nefarious intentions when it comes to finding women. And I'm wondering like how you felt 
the script handled this? Was it mm, like salacious or do you think it had something to say? I think from my perspective, and I was actually having a really great conversation about something very similar with a recent zombie release, The Sadness with Mary Beth McAndrews from Dread. And I like that 28 Days Later didn't make it as salacious as it could have. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes the horror inclination is to go as far as possible. And I like that there was restraint here. There was enough contextually for me to be horrified by the implications of what this was without having to see it. And so I'm glad about that. I certainly would have liked probably, especially with Selena, a little bit more, I don't want to say agency, but a more active role in escaping Mm -hmm. that. Yep. But I do think it's a huge component of what made 28 Days Later distinct because it incorporated this, you know, sort of community of soldiers who had these awful intentions um, with repopulating. And I think it speaks to the depravity of what a world might be like in an event like this. But it did so in a way that was horrifying without feeling exploitative. Mm -hmm. I agree. Although I think it sort of towed the line, but at the end of the day was successful, especially for 2002, which was a different time. And I think Mm -hmm. they handled it fairly well. And I think what this first film does and the second film maybe doesn't do is handle, yeah, the depravity of humans more so than zombies. You're seeing like, yeah, you're seeing how everything falls apart within 28 days, not just people turning into monsters. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you see that in the second one. How would you feel if we tiptoed into the sequel? I would love that. So 28 Weeks Later came out, I think, about five years down the line in 2007. 2005, Danny Boyle mentioned in an interview that the sequel was going to feature a completely new cast because Killian Murphy, Megan Burns, and Naomi Harris were supposedly up to different projects and could not return. Uh, so eventually the sequel to 28 Days Later came out. It has like a pretty insane cast, actually, including Robert Carlyle, Rose Byrne, Jeremy Renner, uh, Catherine McCormick, Imogen Poots, Edris Alba, all sorts of pretty amazing people show up in this film. Um, maybe this time I'll try giving a little bit of a synopsis. So 28 Weeks Later set way down the line after the first film, and it revolves around NATO military forces as they try to clean up London or like the surrounding areas of London as they think they sort of defeated the rage virus. Uh, We have two young siblings who are the lead characters in this film, including Imogen Poots, and they break protocol by sort of escaping into London and outside of their zone, they find their infected mother who has a bit of a resistance to the rage virus and then all hell breaks loose. Would you say that is the general sort of vibe of the film? Am I missing anything major? I think that's a perfect synopsis. So this film came out in the UK on May 11th, 2007 by 20th Century Fox and Atomic Fox in the US. It did pretty well, so it made about 65 million bucks against a budget of 15 million, and this was one of the 
sort of flagship titles from Fox Atomic. Do you remember Fox Atomic, Chad? I did not until you reminded me of that. (laughs) Okay. But some Uh, gems. Very much so some gems. So for those who may have forgotten, Fox Atomic was this sort of sub-label of 20th Century Fox in the late, mid-2000s, focusing on genre titles and comedy titles. They released some very iconic late 2000s horror films, including Turistas, Hills of Eyes 2, Death Sentence, and Shudder, presumably that remake. Um, Do you have any kind of love in your heart for any of these movies? I have a ton of love in my heart for Turistas because I have a (laughs) lot of love in my heart for Melissa George. (laughs) Oh, Melissa George, truly a horror icon. One of my first news pieces I ever did for Dread was about Melissa George. She said, I think she kind of released some quote about the 4K release of Mulholland Drive. And I was writing about that and I was looking into it. And this woman is in countless incredible horror films. Like I forgot about 30 Days of Night. (laughs) Maybe Triangle isn't so incredible, but I feel like she's in that. She's just all over the place. She is. And she's amazing. She is amazing. We we love we, Melissa George over here. <laughs> yeah. Am I forgetting any of the major Melissa George horror films? Mulholland Drive, Teristas, as you said, 30 Days There's of Night. Amityville, which oh the my God, Amityville horror remake. Which is good. That is every I mean, bisexual like person's dream because you have Melissa George and Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> and it's the best of both yes. worlds. It is a bisexual cornucopia. I like that for them. It really is. <laughs> um, where's Melissa George nowadays? We want we want you back. If you if maybe you in twenty eight months some. later. Yes, and if not, then I'm putting absolutely that energy in twenty eight years. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was thinking well, we're getting very close to talking about twenty eight months later. But I'm, I always have been thinking like, if you do that, like it's been so long, it's gonna have to be a period piece now. Like when is twenty months after two thousand and two? Like, what year is that? We're in, like, 2004. <laughs> wow. Good year, though. P- pinnacle for for pop culture. You know? What, what was With the way uh, horror's going, we're going to have Jenna Ortega as the lead in that. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it. No, me too. I'm not complaining. <laughs> and I know that we shouldn't go too deep down this path, but do you think she's going to be the lead of Scream 6? Or do you think they're going to keep the hierarchy that they have now. Um, I, I hope so. And I'm also hoping that um, they keep, is it Sam, the mm-hmm. older sister? I'm Sam hoping they keep Sam there. Yes, because I don't like the fan <laughs> reaction to Sam. I think Sam is fine. <laughs> I didn't and love Sam, love but I'm not like <clears throat> fuming. I'm not fuming about Sam. Um, See, I'm a petty person, so I want Sam in there just out of spite. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine with me. I thrive on spite. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And why not two? Why not two final girls, you know? There's uh, there's room to play. There's plenty of room. Absolutely. So something that you mentioned to me before I watched this film for the first time this weekend was that the opening sequence was incredible. And boy, is it ever For people that may have forgot, do you want to like give us a little bit of a description of what this opening sequence looks like? Yeah. Um, So it sort of takes us back to right after the original outbreak. So we haven't quite jumped 28 weeks later yet. And we've got Robert Carlyle's 
Don, he's with his wife, Alice, and that is Catherine McCormick. And so um, their daughter, um, they're, they're there with four more survivors. Um, they're on the outskirts. Their two children have been traveling abroad, so they're not with them. And a little boy shows up, and he's presumably infected, but they allow him in, and he isn't. But as is always the case, he has been tracked and followed. It reminds me a lot. I don't know if you're um, terribly familiar with it. That really good sort of like uh, climax to uh, I Am Legend, where uh, Will Smith's character has the recognition after some rescuing and survivor stuff that he's been followed back to his compound one evening by the vampire creatures. So this little boy has been followed. And so Don, his wife, and the other survivors are now frantic trying to escape. Don's wife is Alice. She is desperately trying to help this boy. And Don just, he says, I'm fed up. And he flees. He leaves everybody behind to be slaughtered. And he, he goes, just, he says, I'm out. And he bolts it across a field. There's just beautiful sort of like wide mm-hmm. shot of the zombie swarming in as he just runs. I think it captures a lot of that frenetic energy that Danny Boyle had in the first one. It's very chaotic. There's just straight running. Um, it's energized and he escapes via boat. Um, and then of mm-hmm. course we catch up with him, but it is such a savage way to open a movie because this man in effect leaves these people behind to die. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. Kind of sad. Yeah, I didn't know what they were going for. I was really hoping that he would turn around and see his wife in the window getting, like, shredded. But, of course, the wife comes along again later and plays a significant role in the story. But, yeah, that opening scene is a 10 out of 10 and kind of makes this movie, it's kind of worth the price of admission alone. The one where they descend into the subway system down the escalators with all with all the skeletons i don't know why uh, that that worked for me do you have any favorite moments in this sequel um so i would say my favorite moments because I, I don't hate this movie it was the first one i saw i saw it before 28 days so i think it has a little bit of nostalgia for me and as a young person of course i liked i noted before things that were just big and loud and it's definitely much bigger and much louder than 28 days later and mm-hmm. the cast for me really helps. Um, Rose Byrne, I, um, I love her. I'm obsessed with her. Put her in <laughs> anything, and I will be there. Give it comedy, drama. She's going to do it, and she's going to kill it. Mm-hmm. So I always appreciate having her pop up. I do like Jeremy Renner, too. I don't know how few people feel about him. I think he's in the MCU, so maybe he's popular now. Yeah. But I, I always... I, yeah. That's all I think of him as, is Marvel. <laughs> I do like him. Um, and then, of course, Imogen Poots, sort of a genre icon as well, and sort of an early role. So I think the cast contributes a great deal to making this movie work for me because it does have some very striking imagery. I think it does mm-hmm. a good job of sort of manifesting that same sort of inimitable visual quality that the first had. Um, but doing it, of course, on a larger scale. It's there's a lot of like you noted with the subway. There are a lot of gothic elements and gothic motifs that I see throughout that I really appreciate. Mm. Um, it is, of course, just sort of swirling within this context of bad decisions, which yeah. I don't think the first one necessarily had. 
Um, I mean, really, the impetus for the whole movie is predicated on two people making a very bad decision, <laughs> which is always uh-huh. frustrating to me as an audience member. I never want conflict to come out of somebody just doing something kind of silly and, you know, foolhardy. And this whole movie is sort of predicated on that. Yes, it is. And it doesn't really just capture the heart of that first film in any way. But yeah, the freneticism is there. And some of the brutality is there too. There is the thumbs to the eyeball sequence that, happens in the first film they repeat with quite it's just it's even nastier this time around mm-hmm. when uh, robert carlyle blinds his wife i think that was one of the grosser parts in this film really struck me yeah um also eyeball stuff is gross i have a hard time yeah, with i that. don't do eye- eyeballs and fingers are my two. <laughs> oh, i have a hard time with fingers too like like breaking fingers is that what you're alerting to if fingers get broken, if fingernails get like Ugh, taken off, yuck. Like, anything yeah. finger or eye related, those are the two kinds of injuries I can't stomach. <laughs> I relate so much with the finger stuff. Yeah, finger breaking, I cannot do. I was even watching like an old episode of Buffy and someone's finger gets broken. And I was like, cannot do it. But yeah, fingernails uh, is the number one. I would like, I just can't. Even I have a hard time watching The Ring because I know. In the, in the VHS, like in the actual video part, there's like a broken fingernail part. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's oh yeah, too much for me. Yuck! Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Um, another thing that I cannot personally watch in films are scalpings. That is just my like number one. I cannot do it. I I am messed up by it. Do you have like anything? There... Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've seen like I'm trying to think if I've seen a scalping lately. <laughs> that phrasing it's, um it's rare but it does come up yeah and it's always I'm shocking feeling, and out of nowhere yeah i was gonna say i don't think i've seen enough scalping but scalping i think might be up there i don't like things with skin either like skin Blech. should be attached no i want skin yeah left don't on kill the body. it off leave it there yeah. or please i don't yeah, i don't want I don't like any it. skin coming off no 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 definitely not yeah what was there oh i think the reason i have a scalping issue is do you remember the movie nurse betty Starring Renee Zellweger, fully a comedy. I think Greg Kinnear was in it. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, she scalped somebody in it. (laughs) No, but someone gets fully scalped in it by the bad guy, and I and we rented it, and I was a little kid, and I was like, no, never again. I cannot do it, and I can't watch Bone Tomahawk. (laughs) Have you seen Bone Tomahawk? Yes, I have that. I have not. I have not. (laughs) I have not seen it. Although recently I was doing research for a list on like the most painful deaths in film history. And there was one in that that came up that I was unaware of. And I'm still upset just reading about it. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk um, gets you because it's just like an hour and a half of just like easy breezy Western. There's like a little bit of violence okay. and conflict, but it's nothing too bad. And then you reach that conclusion and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, I hate that. But I think maybe I was talking to you where I, I feel like the innkeepers kind of does the same thing, but with horror and, and scares. But the whole yeah. time it kind of feels like it's YA fun, like low stake horror. And then the last, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes is just off the charts. Yeah, terror. They just everything they have been saving goes there. 
Yes. And I think that's always a rotten move, but I one that I always appreciate because it's ballsy. That's why I love slow burn because I'm like, listen, I feel like you might have something really good in store for me at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Just don't bore me. You know, you can be slow without being yeah. boring. Ty-, Ty West is a good example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we head into 28 months later, I'm wondering, have you seen the latest Alex Garland film, Men? No, but I will be going this week. No, it's so funny. I have not seen it either. And I thought, Chad will have seen it. He can he could fill us in. But I was wrong. And that's okay. This is what I get for assuming. We yeah, do I'm love Alex Garland over here. I am probably like one of three Sunshine stands. <laughs> uh, make it four. I think it might be my favorite. Uh, four. Yeah, I, I love that movie. Sunshine that is movie. Yes, I saw it in theaters without really knowing what it was going to be. And I remember being like, wow, fully a horror movie. Space-time horror film. I love it. It um, should be more popular wrote with that cast list. I forget who was in it. Um, um, I forget who wrote this article. But we did an article very recently at Dread Central about horror in space that has nothing to do with aliens. And I, I think that's just like a new favorite subgenre of mine. Because space is so me? scary. Was it you, Chad? That might have been. It might have been me. I wrote about space slashers, and I think I talked about sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we write. It, it's it's hard to keep up these days, and that's okay. We're busy. <laughs> we're booked, and we're blessed. Um, yeah, sunshine's an amazing film, and Annihilation. I know it's kind of polarizing. I think it's one of my favorites of all time. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. I took my mom for okay, her birthday. Good. It wasn't even a gift for her. I said, I'm going to take you to the movies. <laughs> what did she think of she was, Annihilation? She was not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a, I, I don't, your mom seems, you know, m- more game than a lot of moms when it comes to genre, but that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I that's think that I, I did, like, I sort of lied. I gave her, like, a little synopsis, and I knew it was going to be weird. I just didn't <laughs> allude to any of that. I was like, yeah, you know, like sci-fi and there's going to be a big like bear monster. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, that sounds cool. And then she was true. just like, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, it's like the most cerebral major release of the last who knows how long. It's so weird. And I don't know if at the end it truly earns all of its weirdness, but it doesn't matter because it's so beautiful and unlike anything we get on a regular Kind yeah, of sad we're not getting any of the follow-up novels adapted. Oh, I can be shady and say I don't know that we need them. I, I have not read any of the novels in that series. I've only seen that one film. But I loved so it. So Annihilation is very good. Um, the two follow-ups in the Southern Reach trilogy, they get... They were not for me, I will say. Um, okay, they're still beautifully I'm written. I'm so interested. What's going they on? They just get... So it's been like... So when was that 2018 so it's been since like 2018 when i read the trilogy mm-hmm. um and it gets very bizarre there's like a paranormal element to it that is um, introduced in the third one and if i'm remembering correctly i think birds figure in like really like centrally they're like ghost birds i hate that it's one of those things where like you sort of get you can't just like accept the shimmer. You get that whole third book rundown of like, here is everything that is happening. And when you have something like you said, so cerebral and just bizarre and almost Lovecraftian, when you start to explain it, 
Like the explanation is always going to be ridiculous. Yeah, it's and never going to be just, earned. No, it just gets a little ridiculous. <laughs> Was the explanation ghost birds? Because I cannot stand with that. Um, there were birds and there were ghosts, and I, I'm like ninety percent sure they were like paranormal, like ghost birds. <laughs> well, listen, if there are ghosts, then there are ghost birds, and we <laughs> can't fight that. We have to just be okay with that, radically accept it. Um, just wait for Alex Garland's follow up for A24, Ghost Bird. <laughs> Ghost Birds. Ah, okay. No, this might be before your time. Do you remember Dead Birds? Hold on. I have to look this up. Because Dead Birds was this amazing direct to video 2004 horror film, definitely by someone famous. Hold on a second. Does the name sound familiar to you? Oh, it's written by Simon Barrett. Um,. Yeah, I brought it up, so I should say what it's about. So Dead Birds centers on a group of deserters turned bank robbers who come face-to-face with supernatural forces while holing up in an abandoned plantation after robbing a bank. Um, I just remember something this with my dad as a kid. Yeah, I, and I think I got to... Yes, I definitely got to ask Simon Barrett about it on this podcast once. That was a big moment for me. Oh my god, it stars Henry Thomas. Gotta revisit it. Um, so yeah, that was my tangent on dead birds. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, how would you feel if we finally got to our grand finale? The reason everybody's tuning in 28 months later. Let's do it. Sweet. So you may not know this third sequel, this third film in the 28 trilogy has not actually been made, but has been in discussion since about 2007. So Uh, Fox Atomic spoke with Bloody Disgusting all the way back in 2007, where they first noted that a third film was on the table, potentially. Also, same year, while promoting the movie Sunshine to MTV, Danny Boyle said that they had come up with a story for the film, unquote. There is an idea for the next one, something which would move the story forward. I've got to think about it, whether it's right or not. We skip ahead a few years to 2010 and writer Alex Garland was asked what was happening with what people were dubbing 28 months later. And this was his response. I'll answer that completely honestly. When we made 28 days later, the rights were frozen and a group of people who are no longer speaking with each other are sort of holding the cards. And so the film is never going to happen unless those people start talking to each other again. There is no script as far as I'm aware, you know, and I think he would be aware because I'm assuming he would have helped write it. Hopefully, maybe um, I'm really wondering who these people that were being so petty were. And if one of them was Danny Boyle, if you had to guess, do you think it would be anyone we would have known by name or just shadowy producers? I would think shadowy just behind the scenes producer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It always is. It always is. So skip another year to 2011 and speaking with Empire Magazine, Danny Boyle said this. So there is a good idea for it when speaking about 28 months later. And once I've got my stage production of Frankenstein open, which yes, I remember him doing, I'll think I'll begin to think about it more. He followed that up a couple of years later saying, It's 40-60 whether a sequel happens or not, but we have an idea of where to set it and what it might be about. When someone asked him to sort of share the idea, he said no, because they'd end up stealing it for The Walking Dead, which is very funny and very, very sassy. In 2015, Garland spoke with 
uh, IGN, and here's what he had to say. We just started talking about it seriously. We've got an idea. Danny Boyle and producer Andrew McDonald and I have been quite serious in conversations about it, so it's definitely a possibility. It's complicated. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it's complicated, which are boring and I won't go into, but there's a possibility. It's more like 28 months rather than 28 years. 28 months gives you more of a place to go. And then he was also continued to hint that maybe there'd be a fourth film. Well, which I'm assuming would be 28 years later. Why not? (laughs) 2019, (laughs) 2019, Boyle told uh, NME that he and Garland recently met to discuss this third film. The next year and in 2021, Emojin Poots and Killian Murphy both stated to NME that they would be really interested in reviving their personal roles from the first film and second film, which would be interesting to see come together. And then even like in the last couple of months, we had Garland speaking to Yahoo Entertainment, and he said this, it's possible. It's one of those things. Everybody needs to want to do it. And every now and then, partly because I think about paying off my mortgage or something like that, I think, hmm, that would be a good idea. But then me personally... I never quite have enough motivation to follow through. Uh, The last quote I've got, which was, I believe, in the last couple of months, we have him saying, A long time has passed, and 28 days later, when it arrived, it was fresh, and I don't think it's fresh anymore. I think it actually, in speaking of conversations, 28 days later joined the zombie conversation, that genre. It did its thing, which is great, and it was nice to be a part of that, really. And that's where we left off, which... Doesn't sound like the most positive place for this film. Um, With all of that in mind, Chad, do you think we're ever going to get 28 months later or even just a follow-up film? So I will say just from, I always use the Scream franchise as a good metric. I never like to say never. Um, I do like (laughs) the sort of vacillations and those responses from like, pretty optimistic to like no this is silly why would you ask about this of course it's not going to happen within you know just a couple years time so i don't i wouldn't rule it out entirely um i think that especially with sort of like the digital convergence and streaming we're seeing a lot of old properties resurrected in sometimes very unusual formats i still think it's like the strangest but coolest thing that there was a snow piercer tv show <laughs> yeah totally so i never like to count things out there's always a chance well that's nice and honestly if it's gonna make the money it'll resurface in some way or form i guess my follow-up question is do we want to see a more of the 28 universe if you got to make the decision would you say yes or no so if I got to make the decision, I would probably say no. Mm-hmm. And not that like in a personal sense, yes, I like all movies. And I'm also just the kind of person who likes things that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I would say this is something I recognize. I'm going to want to consume this thing. But I will say that, um, especially predicated on that last quote from Garland, it sort of has had its moments. And mm-hmm. That's what's always tricky about these delays and not being really swift with getting something out is that it has been almost superseded by a lot of new zombie efforts. We've had some really cool South Korean efforts with like Train to Busan and Hashtag Alive, um, which premiered on Netflix a few years ago. 
And mm-hmm. so the genre is sort of already carving out its new landscape in this decade that I think 28 months later with theoretically, it would need to have a really good idea and it would really need to have something to say to justify its, its existence because there is no dearth now of really good zombie movies, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, the original and even 28 uh, weeks later had the advantage of coming at a fortuitous time where it still wasn't so big a subgenre, at least in the mainstream, that it was something that could stand out, hence why both of them did so well financially. I mm-hmm. think it would have a harder time in this filmic landscape carving out its space to be seen and appreciated. I agree with you completely. I don't know if it's something we need, and if it does come around, they better have a very fresh take because it may just get drowned out with all the other sort of high-quality genre stuff or even zombie stuff that we have and you're right especially from other parts of the world chad if you were to be found on the internet where could people find you i can be found on twitter at chad is collins i made this joke earlier and i'm going to make it again there is an is between my name chad collins is a pastor he's a very nice guy i'm sure but he is not me (laughs) okay this is good information (laughs) I have had people go okay. to follow me and they'll be like, you tweet some weird stuff. And I'll say, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> There's two different sides of you. Um, oh yeah. Follow the correct Chad. Chad is Collins. Um, uh, amazing. And I guess another question I have for you is if someone was to read a recent article of yours, where would you direct them? What's something that we could look into? So I would direct people um, toward Dread Central, of course, And Mm -hmm. I was really proud of that piece I did uh, sort of on 28 Days Later about the history of fast zombies and the way that the zombie subgenre has sort of developed since the early aughts. So I was really proud of that one. I found some cool research. Um, I thought I developed some really cool insights into sort of the development of the subgenre. So I would encourage people to check that out if you want more zombie fare. And there are some additional recommendations in there of some current zombie stuff that people might not have seen yet. Well, you heard him. So we're going to link that in the episode description. So you should check that out right now. Chat, this was awesome. Thank you for coming back to Development Hell. It's always fun chatting with you. Had a great time. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.